was thinking this week, um, when I, I sit down, usually to try to plan out the preaching calendar for almost a full year out. And when I usually sit down and do that, um, I pay really close attention to when is like Christmas and Easter, when do Advent and Lent start, when is, you know, Pentecost Sunday. I really pay attention to those holidays because they're like church calendar events, like they change, they kind of matter to what we do here. Um, I don't really pay any attention to when is like Valentine's Day or Mother's Day or Father's Day. I just, like, those are not on the church calendar, so I'm oblivious to those. So some years on Mother's Day, I give messages that are like less than, like, motherly. Um, but this year, I still didn't put it on the calendar, but I was thinking about my mom as I was writing the sermon. And so I thought I would just talk about the ways in which my mom loved us, right? She modeled love in all kinds of tangible ways, ways I couldn't miss, so I was thinking about things that she did. Like when, when we were first really little, um, she quit her job at a more lucrative kind of hair salon to open her own shop at home, which cost her money in the end. But she did it because she could have a much more flexible schedule so she could take care of her kids. All right, I, I watched my mom. Um, she, I can't, I wish I knew how many miles my mom drove. Right? My parents had a full-size conversion van. If you know what those are, you, you know what they are. If you don't, you missed out. And so we... We were in, in that thing, and we probably, I don't know how many miles my mom drove, how many oil changes, or how many of those we had to replace, right? Like, there were so many miles, so many practices. I can't remember the number of late nights she stayed up watching a baseball uniform because we had back-to-back days of games, and they had to wear it the next day. I can't tell you the number of times when um, there were science projects or history projects that late at night she would be helping me put together, and, and when I would go to bed, they would look better than when I got up in the morning. I don't know how that works, right? Um... I can't tell you the number of times when we were ungrateful or unappreciative or whatever, and she loved us in spite of it. I can't tell you the number of times when she probably went without something that she would have liked or maybe even needed so that we could have something that we usually just wanted, right? Those are the things my mom did over and over and over again. One of the coolest things, right, she used to host birthday parties and cook meals and all those things. But one of the things that I think was impressive about my mom is there were four kids in our house, right? I have two brothers and a sister. Every one of us felt like we were the most important whenever we were with her, right? That's a cool trait that my mom had, that you mattered that much to her. And so I was thinking, like, that's a pretty cool thing. I mean, my mom did do some other kind of interesting things that were kind of funny that I make fun of. Like, here's one. Um, Pastor Matt and I were talking about that, that this week, about how our moms like to shop. Um, my mom, it's like a job to shop. Like, she doesn't have to buy anything. She just goes shopping. I'm like, why would you go? Um, it makes no sense. If I'm going to go, I want to buy something and be done. Like, that's why you go. No, she can just spend the day. I'm like, what would you buy? Oh, nothing. Then why did, anyway. But my mom um, would buy stuff for us because it was on sale. I know none of you do that kind of thing, right? She would buy it on sale. Like, I, I would get, like, extra large T-shirts, or like I had a pair of size 14 tennis shoes. I still don't wear a size 14 tennis shoe, and I hope I never wear an extra large T-shirt. Right? There, because it was on sale, and you'll grow into it. I still haven't. I'm waiting on it right now. Uh, it hasn't happened. But here's the reality of my mom's love. It wasn't just emotional or a feeling. It was tangible. Right? It was something we could see and touch and know and feel, right? Because here's the reality for my mom. Um, she modeled well what it looked like to love in the ways of Jesus. And I was thinking about this and why this matters. Love is never sentiment or emotion alone. Love requires action. Love requires action. Love is a relationship that we enter into with one another. 
right? So then there's a question I had to answer was how was I going to love her back, right? When you're a little boy, that's pretty easy. You just like give mom a big hug and say I love you and, you know, that like solves all the world. Um, But as you get older, love in response to our parents looks a little different, right? Eventually we respond in ways of living that they want us to live because that's what loving obedience looks like, right? I love you, so I will do what you ask me to do because I know you love me and you care for me. And so I was thinking about how sometimes I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Um, I was remembering as a teenager, I was about 17, and I wish I could remember what I did wrong or didn't do. I don't don't remember. It was big enough that I was going to get grounded for a substantial amount of time. And so I went to my mother, because this is not a, a, a thing on parenting, right? You can parent how you want to parent today. But, but um, we were little. We had a choice we could make. You could get spanked, or you could get, like, grounded. Well, as young boys, we figured out a spanking would hurt for, like, 10 seconds, maybe. But grounding took time. And that could last longer. And so we'd be like, well, I'll just use the spanking. Um, and so I was 17 years old. I haven't grown since then. So I was a full grown man. My mom is five foot three. If you stretch her a little bit, right? She is not a big woman. And, um, she's telling me my punishment's going to be. And I said, well, can you just spank me? (laughs) She thought it was really funny and started busting up. She goes, yeah, I'm going to bend you over my knee. Like, I mean, what? Um, my punishment was much less, whatever the punishment was going to be. It got shortened because I, she thought that was a pretty good joke. Um, I was actually serious, but it didn't work out for me on that one. But, but I did learn over and over again, I had to decide how I was going to respond to my mom in love. And the truth is, obedience is the answer, but the truth is, none of us really like obedience. As I was thinking about this, what does it look like um, for us to love our parents or to, to to live in that, right? I was talking this weekend with a mom, and uh, one of my favorite uh, lines of this conversation was, and they're remaining nameless. They're part of our church, but they're nameless on purpose because of the story. And, and they said, yeah, my son made me a great Mother's Day card, or so he says, but then he got upset that he got in trouble this week. And so he said, I made you a great Mother's Day card, and I'm not giving it to you now. Um, that's sometimes how we respond in love, to because love is for us transactional. And if you don't do what I want, then you didn't love me. And so I was thinking what that looks like in our relationships. Because often, especially in romantic relationships, we'll say things like this. I don't feel like I'm in love with you anymore. Or I fell out of love with you. Right? Love is not something we fall out of. Love is a choice, and love requires action. But the question remains for you and I, how will we respond to love? You see, here's the reality for us. Love is the very essence of God. Nowhere is that more clear in the Gospel of John. John records it over and over again, right? My, my mom loved unconditionally as much as any mom ever could, but the reality is there's a God who loves you and I in a greater unconditional way than my mom could ever touch. And, and so the question is, what do we do with that love? If God is love, if that's how God responds, John writes that over and over again, whether in the Gospel of John or First John or Second John or whatever, over and over we find throughout the Scriptures that God is defined by love. If that's the essence of who he is, what does that love look like? And then how do we respond in light of that love? John was the disciple who was closest to Jesus. And John, in his relationship with Jesus, records all the things in stories, and he writes in his book, right, he says that all this is recorded so that you could come to know who Jesus is, the Messiah, the Son of God, and then in him you could find life. And so John records all these things that we might have an understanding of who God is, 
And we get to know that, like John says, multiple spots. You'll see even in today's text from John 14 that, that, that we find multiple times John records that Jesus said, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or the Father and I are one, over and over again. So we get to say this, like whoever, whoever God is, that's Jesus. And so we get to say about God what Jesus says about God. And so John records these words of Jesus talking to his followers in a way that we might begin to understand what love might look like in relationship to God. And so here's what John records from John 14, beginning with verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I go back to the question I asked earlier. I asked the question, how will you and I respond to love? Right? We're going to recognize that love is more than sentiments. Or emotion, like good thoughts, those are good, good, but that's not the same thing as love. Right? How then do we show love? The answer, according to Jesus, is obedience. We love when we are obedient. And here's the reality for us we kind of bristle at the idea of obedience, most of us do anyway. Because who am I obedient to? And what do I have to be obedient in? And how does that work? Because I'm a grown adult and I get to make my own decisions. Or I'm a teenager and I'm wrestling with what decisions I get to make. Over and over and over again, we find this. And what we find in the New Testament, all throughout, we find summarized by Jesus. And we find through the other New Testament writers is this phrase over and over and over again. Here is what Jesus calls us to do. To love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. To love God and love others. Here's the reality. There's no way we can't escape that throughout the New Testament, there are definitely things that we're told not to do, things to avoid. Now, why? Most of them lead to destruction and brokenness in our own lives or in the lives of other people. They destroy us. We often don't see them as that on the, on the outside, and sometimes we still don't see it on the inside, right? We, we think it's going to be okay. We can just keep doing whatever it is we're doing, but it leads to more and more brokenness over time. And so what we find is there are things we don't do, but most often the reason we don't do something is because what Jesus says is this, it isn't loving. It's the opposite of love. And so if it's not loving to myself or others, 
right? If it objectifies them or dehumanizes them, then it isn't love, and so we avoid those things. And so what Paul later calls it is the law of Christ, also known as the law of love. So we show our love to God by living as Jesus calls us to live, by loving God and loving others. However, choosing obedience to Jesus um, isn't like being stuck in an abusive or controlling marriage or relationship, right? Like, we, we know what I'm talking about. You've maybe been in a relationship with someone, and they've said to you over and over again, if you love me, you do this. If you love me, you do this. They coerce or manipulate or force you in a direction, and you know, like, it feels wrong or it doesn't feel good or it feels painful, right? That isn't what Jesus is doing here. That is the opposite of love. That's manipulation or control. That isn't love, but what Jesus is saying is this, I have lay, I'm laying down my life, and we know, we know looking back, he has laid down his life so that you and I can know how far love will go, that there is nothing we can do in this world that God's love will not extend, that not even death itself will separate us from God's love. But we get to choose whether we're going to embrace that love and receive that love and know that love, or we can reject it. Because love is a relationship, it goes both ways. So God's love for us continues to extend to us, but often by the behavior of our lives or our own attitudes towards God, we'll choose to reject God and his love. And Jesus again and again says, will you choose my love? And here's how you choose my love. You live in loving obedience to me. And what's it look like that we obey? We choose love. We choose to live and follow after him. And that's what it looks like to do that. Right? We begin to recognize this as that Jesus wants us to know who the Father is, that he loves us, this unconditional love that he keeps coming to us, beckoning us to come to him and to choose him. Obedience reflects love. Now, here's the reality. That's true in almost every relationship, by the way. Like, well, not in my marriage. We don't have rules. Well, we actually do have rules in our marriage. They're kind of rules, and here's what I mean. Um, I choose to be faithful to my wife. Like, she hasn't, like, written me a rule, but it's a rule. It's a rule, like, right? Because if I'm not, then I don't really choose love her in that way. I'm choosing myself at some level. It's true. Right? We can pick all kinds of other stuff. In our, like, I, I go home pretty much every night. Like, I might be traveling for some reason, but otherwise I go home. Because the rule is, I will come home every night. And we didn't write it down anywhere. Like, we don't have, a, like, a list of, okay, home rules. You'll come home at night. It's not, we don't have that. Like, it's just a known, right? Like, because that's what love does. So there are certain things that we, we don't write down, but they're rules of life for our family. Right? With my kids, one of the things I, I try to do, right, um, when they do something wrong, uh, my son can attest to this. I don't say, hey, you did this wrong, because that's not usually all that helpful, if I'm honest. The question I will ask him, and he'll tell you I ask him this, um, was that loving? Like when he does something wrong to someone else, or he hurts someone else's feelings, or, he, or, or, or he's kind of mean to his sister, is that loving? He'll say, well, well, no. Then should we do it? Well, no. Okay. Would you want someone to do that to you? Well, no. Okay. Then let's not do that because that's not love and we want to live from love. Right? It's a conversation we have regularly in our house because I, I don't just want to give my kids a list of rules to not do something because, I mean, there are some of those. But I want them to choose to not do these things because they've come to know God's love and they're reflecting that love in their own lives. Like, that's one of my goals as a dad. Right? One of my primary goals as a dad is to minimize the counseling my kids are going to need later. It's honest. 
right? So how can we help them to know God's love and live from that love? And that's the reality for all of us. What does that look like for you and I? Because Jesus has laid down his life. So we see it among parent and child. We see it even with our employers or as if we're an employer or if we're an employee, right? We choose out of loving obedience, we choose to do what we're asked to do at work. And it also keeps a paycheck coming, but it's also we do those things not because like we even have to like our bosses, but we do them because it's loving obedience to the role I have, unless it calls me something unethical or wrong, right? Because our life is an act of worship. Our work is an act of worship. We do these things out of a loving relationship because of who God is. And here's why this becomes so powerful for us, because obedient, trusting love to God leads to ultimate safety. And I want to clarify what I mean by that. It's this idea that we are eternally safe with God, that we've come to know his love, that no matter what happens in our life, no matter what we experience, even if our life is taken from us, we're not worried because we've lived with a sense of peace, that we have the safety that comes to knowing God who died for us, who gave his son for us, who loves us, who comes near to us, who invites us to know him, right? We don't have to worry about whatever we experience. And that comes from this intimate, deep relationship with the Father through the Son because the Spirit is at work in our lives. And so today, today might be a hard day for you. Mother's and Father's Days are often hard days for many of us, if we're honest. For some, it's a day of celebration. For others, they've lost a parent. They had a bad parent. They wish they could have been a parent. All those things are very real emotions you might be feeling today. It's why one of the things that Jesus says in this is so powerful. He says this line, I will not leave you as orphans. Or better translated, I will not leave you without a father. I will not leave you without a father. You will not be abandoned. You will not be left. You will not be left alone. I will continue to be with you, right? Even what Jesus is trying to say is this, that there's a God who desperately loves you, and he loves you not because of what you have done or what you can do, but he loves you because you exist. God loves you because you you exist. You can't do anything to add to that or subtract to that, right? Here's the problem for many of us. We keep trying to prove our worth or our value or that we can be more lovable. We try to climb more ladders, right? We, we try to say, well, if I just have to be better, I have to do this more. But here's the reality. God has created you in such a way that he loves you as you are where you are. It doesn't mean that there aren't things we can improve and get better. That's not what that's saying. But the idea that God loves you where you are right here, right now, in this moment, in this space. And here's the reality. God's activity shows his love, and we get to choose to accept that love and respond with our life. All right, so I love this quote by William Barclay. He says this, For John, love is the basis of everything. God loves Jesus. Jesus loves God. God loves people. Jesus loves people. People love God through Jesus. People love each other. Heaven and earth, people and God, people and people are all bound together by the bond of love. What's it look like to live into that kind of love, right? It's why I love this line um, he said earlier in this text, verse 20 says this, On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That's why I said earlier that we can say nothing about God that we can't say about Jesus because Jesus is God incarnate, God in flesh. He is God coming to us. There's all kinds of bad pictures about who God actually is, right? Turn on any kind of television, listen to anyone talk about who God is, and often it's twisted to whatever version they want to give. But what Jesus says is, you want to know who God is? It's me. 
I'm my father, and my father is in me, and if you want, you can live in such a way that you are in relationship with me. He says, I will give you something called the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the counselor, the comforter. My very presence, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that you can know. And I know, I know this. Jesus offers this. And you and I live in a world that is what we call an industrialized age, right? Like we live in a modern world, it's contemporary culture. We know that, like I'm using an iPad to look at notes. I know that you've got a smartphone in your pocket. I know that, right, there are neuroscientists figuring all kinds of crazy things that are really cool. We're concerned about what AI may or may not be in the future, right? There's all kinds of things that run through our mind. And yet, what I'm saying to you is this. A guy 2,000 years ago said this, that you can be connected to the divine in such a way that the very presence of God can be with you every moment of every day. You can live in constant conversation and connection to the Holy Spirit. I know it sounds crazy. Once you have experienced it and come to know it, you come to know that there is this God that exists, the creator of all the cosmos, loves you and wants to know you and enter into relationship with you. And it's why we come to know his very presence and it changes everything. That's why I love this line that we're invited to relationship with God. So I'm going to point out a line in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Here's what the writer says. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Right? There's two words I want to point out. Us, plural, our, plural. God is relational. God has always been relational, right? There's this phrase we use in the church we call Trinity. Like, God is Trinitarian. He's three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit, right? So give me like two minutes to talk about some kind of things that might make your brain blow up a little bit. But if you'll pay attention, you'll get it with me, right? But God is in relationship with himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. This kind of... The, the, the early church fathers called it the div- divine dance of God. That God is an interrelationship with himself in this way, right? They use this phrase, this word is kind of weird for us, called perichoresis, which means this. Because they didn't know how to describe this mysterious relationship of God. And so the perichoresis, this divine dance, that God is in a relationship dancing with himself in some way, where it's this loving, unbroken community of God. And then you and I, are invited into that loving, unbroken community of God to live in relationship with God in this divine dance where Father, Son, and Spirit are so connected to us that we know God in this intimate way. Praise why um, Jesus replied to, in this text, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, will come to them, and make our home with them. Again, God is relational and wants to be in relationship with you and I. Right, so there's a famous painting by a guy named Andre Rubler uh, called The Trinity. And so you'll see this painting on the screen. And so in this painting, it's supposed to be a depiction of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit connected together at a dinner table. And you'll notice there's an open seat, right? One of the earliest versions had like a spot where they thought there was a mirror. Like in other words, you and I look at this mirror and we see ourselves because you and I are invited into this relationship, into this table. So God, in relationship with himself, is gathered around this dinner table, and you and I are invited to fellowship with God so that we can live in such a relation that we, it's supposed to be like the Holy Spirit's arms extended in the painting, right? I, I know it's a painting, so it's not like, I mean, if I would make it be like this, but I'm not a painter. Um, it's not surprising to you. But, but this idea that God, in relationship with himself, invites us into relationship with him, that God wants you and I to be invited to the table, the perichoresis of God, you and I are invited into this relationship with God so that we can know what it looks like. This open seat, this the divine dance of God, you and I are invited to come to this table to be in relationship with God. 
We're invited in. That's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand, that you can receive this, right? But it's a choice we get to, to choose, to live into, right? That's why this quote, the gift of the Holy Spirit is an outgrowth of the loving relationship between Jesus and his disciples, not an entitlement. You don't just get to go thrown into the table and sit and divide into the divine dance. You're invited. It's extended to you. You get to choose it. And we choose it by choosing loving obedience to Jesus. To living by the way we love God and we love others, by living out of love, by living in such a way that we obey whatever Jesus calls us to do and the life he calls us to live. And in the midst of all those things, we come to know the very presence of his spirit. It's why Jesus said these words, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus says, I'll give you one who will be the advocate, the one whose spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that no matter what kind of death we feel like we might be experiencing in this life, no matter what we might be going through, he promises us his very presence. Right? One of the things that my mom did incredibly well growing up um, is she created like a, like for like a better language, I'd say a culture or a place, our home felt safe. I don't mean like because the doors were locked, that kind of thing. I mean the kind of safety that you could be who you were because you knew you were loved. That no matter what you had experienced that day, no matter what you had gone through, when you walked in the doors, it was good. Right? I mean, except for the days when we had to do chores, but that's a whole other conversation, right? Um, and even to this day, one of the things my mom does, like when we go to visit, I can almost guarantee you almost every time, unless there's some kind of family event that she has to be at, when I walk in the door, she'll be making um, boneless, like skinless fried chicken breasts with chicken and noodles to go with it and mashed potatoes. I can smell it and taste it right now. I know you got lunch later. Sorry. My daughter now looks forward to it too and we go there, right? She, she creates an environment where we feel like we're safe and it's welcome and you can walk in. This is what God does through the work of his spirit. He says, if you receive my spirit, then no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've experienced, my spirit will be with you in such a way that you can know what peace feels like. In the midst of unrest, in a broken world, no matter what you're going through, you can know the kind of peace that surpasses all understanding. You can know what it is to be connected to God. That's why I love this quote from one scholar. He says this, he speaks of his gift and his gift is peace. In the Bible, the word for peace, shalom, never means simply the absence of trouble. It means everything which makes for our highest good. The peace which the world offers us is the peace of escape. The peace which comes from the avoidance of trouble and from refusing to face things. The peace which Jesus offers us in the peace of conquest, no experience of life can ever take it from us. And no sorrow no danger, no suffering can ever make it less. It is independent of outward circumstances. Do you know that kind of peace? What are the things that rob us from that kind of peace? Often fear is the greatest robber of our peace. It's why Jesus ends this particular line here with do not be afraid. Right? Fear is a sneaky thing. Right? There's some obvious things we're afraid of. We're afraid of heights and cl clowns and spiders. I get it. Those make sense. 
But we're afraid of other things as well, right? We're afraid because we've bought into a myth of scarcity over abundance. I will never have enough. Whatever it is, I've got to have more and more and more and more. That's, that's called the myth of abundance, right? It's a scarcity myth. I'm, I'm buying into this idea that I just can't have enough. Whatever it is, right? Often it's money for us, but it's lots of other things too, right? We, we, we buy into the myth that we can control situations or people. I can control the outcome. I can get the outcome I want, maybe, but we have very little control in life, but we're going to try to exert our control, right? We often do it in relationships, which leads to more and more brokenness. We sometimes think we can have safety and security and we're going to make ourselves really secure, but the reality is we have little to no control in those things and we don't trust God. In the midst of that, the only safety and security I really have is to entrust my life to God. Then regardless of what comes, I'm okay. It's why I say this as a dad who loves his kids desperately. My greatest fear for my children is not that they would die and I have to bury them. I've talked to friends who've done that and I, I can't imagine my greatest fear as a father is that God would call my kids to something and they'd have to like get in a boat and go to the other side, whatever that might look like in their life, and they would say no. That's a much greater fear of mine than it is to lose them. And here's the reality. Like, we have no control over safety or security, but do we entrust everything to the kind of peace that no matter what we're afraid of, he can be present with us in the midst of that? Right? The lies we buy into is that my family is more important than their family. It's not true. The lie we buy into is I'm more important than them. Or the reverse is also true. The lie that I'm not as valuable as they are. I'm not as lovable. I'm, I'm not worthy of love. Like those are all myths and lies we buy into. But here is the reality for us. What we come to know is this, that we place our identity in the person of Jesus and his love for us, that we begin to know, we come to know this father who never leaves nor abandons us, that extends peace in all circumstances that we can learn to rest in the presence of Jesus, abide with him in such a way that it changes everything. That's why one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is from Matthew 11, 20-30, which says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's the one if we place our trust in, our life in, we will find rest in the midst of our unease and our anxiety and our fear. Or these words from 1 John 4, because John records all about who God is and what his love looks like, and here's what he writes. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Jesus wants you and I to receive his love, to live from that love, to trust our whole self to him. We do that by choosing loving obedience to what Jesus calls us to, to the commands he calls us to, to live from that space. When we live from that space, he promises his very presence through the work of the Spirit. 
He promises there's a Father who loves us that will never leave us nor abandon us. He promises us that no matter what we've experienced, if we will trust Him, that that Spirit will be for us a place that when we'll receive the very peace of God, our highest good, in the middle of all circumstances of life, and we receive that peace, what we will find is this. It will be more than enough that we can live from love because we have the very presence of the Spirit of God which raised Jesus from the dead. And what this peace that he's offering us, offers us, is wholeness in Christ. To be made whole. To be a reflection of the divine creator. To live in such a way that we are connected to God, the creator of all things, in such a way that we can know love to its fullest extent. And so no matter how much my mom can love me, she can never love me as much as God loves me. And the same is true for you. When you and I come to know the very essence of love seen in Jesus, he comes to us and says, do you want to know what love looks like? Love will go to the ends of all the earth. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And if you choose to accept that, then you'll live from the place of peace because his presence will be with you. The question for you and I is this. Are we going to choose obedience are we going to live connected to the Spirit? Or are we going to love to be what shapes the very essence of who we are? That's my prayer for you and for me. You pray with me. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together today. For the way you come to us, the way you invite us to be connected to you in such a way that changes everything. For us to live in such a way where your Spirit is near. That you would help us to be the kind of people who reflect your love in every aspect of our life. That we would come to know that no matter what we are experiencing, you are with us. From the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, that your love extends, that your spirit's presence is with us. The same spirit that raised your son from the dead can be the same spirit that raises us whatever depths that we may find ourselves in. So may we find ourselves entrusted to you. May you help us to become people more and more who look and love like your son. And may we choose obedience to you even when it's hard, as we pray all of this in your son Jesus' name.